This is a Media Lab podcast. Welcome to Putting It Together, the podcast that goes through the entire body of work of Stephen Sondheim, show by show and song by song. My name is Kyle Marshall, your self-described Sondheim expert. Well, I suppose it's about time that we reintroduce Anthony back into the narrative. Before we jump into the episode with Luke Crichton, there's a couple of emails that I have received that I would like to touch upon. First off, Malachi sent this email in talking about Greenfinch and Linnetbird last week. They write, In short response to the most recent episode, I felt the need to defend Greenfinch as my personal favorite, though I wouldn't argue it's the best of the show. It was my introduction to Sondheim as a whole, as the song stuck with me, and I would always go back and listen to it even before I listened to show tunes much. It would eventually lead me to listening to Todd more, and eventually, of course, exploring the plethora of Sondheim's canon. I still consider Greenfinch one of my favorite of all of Sondheim's numbers, and adore it melodically, and think the lyrics have a great amount of elegance to them, with a different feel than much of his lyrics. I think this is a good call-out, as I did make the quip last week that Greenfinch is nobody's favorite song, which of course is untrue. Every song is going to be somebody's favorite song. So thank you for sending that in, Malachi. I also mentioned Shelby Young last week, who had sent a tweet at me talking about her experience of playing Joanna in Sweeney Todd. She sent me a very long email, so I'm not going to read the, the whole thing. However... I think the biggest thing that she pointed out is that she really interpreted the lyrics as being very, very straightforward. They, meaning that she took the literal interpretation of what she is singing rather than some sort of metaphorical thing that she might be trying to communicate. But I want to take this one particular part. It's a good counterpoint to this like fan theory I have been running through the last few episodes about Joanna and whether or not she loves Anthony or not. Something that we also talk about in this week's episode. But Shelby writes... I believe at first she doesn't see him as an out, or even necessarily a love interest, but one of the few people in recent years who has shown her genuine kindness and interest, because certainly, the more she grows into a woman, the more restrictions the judge places on her out of the fear of another seeing her beauty. I'm sure she recognizes the potential Anthony holds, but she also knows with her current standing with the judge and her lack of means to support herself, she knows it's too risky to venture any further with him. Then the judge proposes, and she realizes just how little time she has before she's truly trapped forever. So she turns to the one person who promised her any kind of light and decides to run off with Anthony, I couldn't tell you the exact moment I see when she falls in love with him, but she's drawn to him from the beginning, and little seeds of attraction are sown throughout the interactions until in Kiss Me when she finally gives in to her own desires and allows herself the moment of happiness with Anthony while they plan their elopement. So I think this is a really great call out and a really great dialogue about the different ways to just approach Joanna and who knows, probably the correct way to play Joanna. So thank you for sending that in, Shelby. Well, we shouldn't beat around the bush here too much. Let's get into talking about the song I'll Miss with Luke Crichton. I have sailed the world, beheld its wonders From the pearls of Spain to the rubies of Tibet But not even in London have I seen such a wonder Luke Crichton, thank you so much for joining me here today. 
lovely to be here. Lovely to be here. You know, we just discovered this because we're recording these, of course, all out of order. Um, I'm recording all of these out of order. This is kind of technically our Valentine's Day episode. I mean, it was two days ago, but what a lovely song to be talking about for Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Isn't Joanna so beautiful from That's so right. far away? Because this is your first time here on the show, we do like to take a moment of kind of going through your history a little bit. So what was your first introduction to Stephen Sondheim? So a bit of backstory then. Uh, I've always been into musical theatre since I was a child, thanks to my mum, who I was listening to things like uh, Chicago and, and stuff when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I saw Phantom, the movie when I was younger. And Joseph, that was the big one. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That was, I used to play that uh, cast album in my, the Jason Donovan one uh, in my uh, in my room while I was tidying and things. Um, so it was kind of a mixture of listening to film scores like Lord of the Rings and whatnot and musicals. My mum comes home and says, I've just seen this film, Sweeney Todd, and I'd never seen anything for it. This was 2008 or 2009. I wasn't allowed to see the film, obviously, because I was a child. I'm, I'm 23, so I would have been very young and I wouldn't have been able to see it because it's very bloody. Yeah. And then uh, for Christmas, the next year I was bought the album, but it was the Highlights album. So I didn't know of what happened movie? at the end of the film. Of the movie, yeah. So oh I didn't gosh. know what happened at the end of the film. That's so hilarious. The, 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 I was like, okay, cool. So he's a demon barber and stuff. And then the album finishes. If anyone has listened to the highlights album, it's like one of the most popular ones on Spotify to listen to that isn't company. Mm -hmm. uh, it ends with not while I'm around, or at least the version I had. So yeah, I didn't yeah. know about the final scene. I didn't know about the judge getting killed or any of this. So until I saw the film, I was eventually given the film and uh, it became one of those like Friday night rituals. I would be watching Sweeney Todd on a Friday night because I was a lonely theater kid. I'd be acting out the scenes and singing. Yeah. And stuff. So Todd has a very, you know, Todd was kind of the show that introduced me to Sondheim, but Sunday was the one that, you know, made me kind of fall in love with him. Mm -hmm. and art comes around at very specific parts of your life, I think. And um, Todd is, you know, will always be in my like top five, always. So sure, that's kind of yeah. a little bit of backstory. Yeah. If that's your kind of gateway drug, we'll say, into the world of Stephen Sondheim, Sunday sounds like something that means a lot to you too. What other shows are like your, the tops for you? I, I've actually spent the last, in 2021, I spent um, the last last year listening to 100 new musicals mm -hmm. that I'd never heard before. I actually did make a top 15, and I, th I think at least five or six of them were all Sondheim shows, right, right, right. including Follies and Night Music and uh, Pacific Overtures. Mm -hmm. Are you telling me you had a lot of free time in 2021, Luke? Well, I was uh, I was in a, a my kind of job, which isn't you know when I'm not writing music, uh, yeah. is I'm just in retail. So I was um, I had a lot of time to just listen to cast albums oh, during nice. my work sessions. So I got to go through like tons of shows, and then obviously then listen to the podcast, which I do when, when I'm at work, right, right. Um, and I may even be at work when I'm listening to this. So that's kind of <laughs> nice. It's like a real it's a massive highlight. Uh, off the top off the top of my head, it would be. Sunday in the Park with George, uh, Sweeney Todd, for, for sort of nostalgia's sake, The Phantom of the Opera. Oh, Les Mis is so good. So maybe Les Mis and Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. Uh, I suppose they would be the top five. But uh, I've really come to love Nine. I think Nine is fantastic. Yeah, Pacifico. I, I, Sunset Boulevard as well is one I came to quite late. Mm. Um, but I love Sunset. But just the Patti Lapone version, not the Glenn Close version. The, it has to be Lapone. Lapone all the way. You know, people like Andrew Lloyd Webber stands are going to come after me a pile a little bit. <laughs> I also really enjoy um, Sunset Boulevard, the music. I've actually seen yes. a production of it. Oh, wow. I don't actually That's think cool. it works <laughs> as a stage show oh, at really? all. But the music is great. It's kind of like, in a way, 
and we'll, I'll probably again get a bunch of lighters when I finally get to Merrily We Roll Along. Um, oh, it's kind of yeah. how I feel about Merrily We Roll Along. The music's great. The show doesn't really work for me very much, but the music is great. <laughs> I agree. Have you seen yeah. up that documentary that was yes. made by Lonnie Price? Yeah, 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 I, yeah. Seeing that made me go, yeah, I can see why. Yeah, um, best worst thing that could have happened, um, I think is what it's called. Yeah, yeah. Again, like if we're talking about, I don't know if you'll ever do a, an episode about like overtures, but the overture mm. for Merrily is mm. top tier. That is just yeah, yeah. fantastic. That and, and Follies, just fantastic. Well, yeah, most people will say like, as far as like best overtures of all time, something like Merrily will get there and Gypsy kind of fight sometimes for a lot of people's top spots because Gypsy has a great overture as well. Yes, yes, for sure. Besides the film, have you seen any other versions of Sweeney Todd? Um, I've seen various versions of Sweeney Todd. Uh, I've seen the, I've seen various clips of um, the Amelda Staunton and Michael right. Ball version. Mm. Uh, and I've seen, is it the Michael Cerverus, Patti Lapone version yeah. as well? Yeah. There's like mm -hmm. bits and pieces of that. But um, the, the only full version I've seen that isn't the movie is the Emma Thompson Oh, and I'm blanking on his name. I can't remember his name. Oh the, my gosh, he's yeah. a tenor. Um, but him, him and Emma Thompson, I saw that and that was, that was fantastic. So yeah, I, I know t I've seen Todd in various forms. So never the like Angela Lansbury, George Hearn uh, recorded version. You I, haven't seen that one? I've seen, I've seen clips of it, but the, the full version isn't really available anywhere I can find no, it unless it's to, on like... you have to hunt for it. <laughs> yeah. But the, the cast album, the original Broadway cast mm -hmm. album, that's the one. Like that, that's the only one I listen to now, even, you know, having grown up on the original, you know, the, sorry, the Tim Burton one, even yeah, yeah. that I barely listen to it. It's always the original. This is actually, this is something that's been coming up this season in particular for some, for some reason. How do you normally like to listen to cast albums the very first time? I mean, you get, you did your like top 100 here. So how did you like to listen to them the very first time? Well, because obviously I would be at work. So yeah. uh, it's during this retail job, I'd have to like not look like I was always listening to music. So sure, I do sure. act one in the left ear. And then after act one finishes, we put act two in the left ear. So we've always got an ear free. Whoa, but, okay. um, if it's a show that has really made an impact the first time, I would go back and listen to it again with the headphones on, or I'd be doing something and I'd have it on. Mm -hmm. I've, maybe I've been a little bit unfair because I did listen to a hundred shows and there were certain shows that maybe if I, I, I went back and listened to again, I might've given a better sort of, or perhaps they would have made the top 15, but if I really love it, I will return to it. I, does yeah, that yeah. answer your question? I don't know if that it does. was a kind of a roundabout it, answer. This is, some people, do you, I guess the follow-up question to that, what I'm really asking is, do you actually read up like a plot synopsis first uh, oh, or yeah. after yeah, yeah. or while you're listening to it just to see what's going on? Or you'd like to go in cold and then try and figure it out? It does depend on the show, I think, because mm -hmm. uh, sometimes... Uh, and having done a lot of these musicals now, I can kind of guess, oh, okay, we're going to have one of these songs now, mm -hmm. which means this is going to happen. Unless it's something I genuinely don't understand what's going on, uh, I'll be like, oh, okay, so we're... right, right, okay. Mm -hmm. um, so on my break or something, or even if I'm just sort of sat at home, like for Sunset, when I first listened to Sunset, I was like, where, where are we? Why are we going to Paramount? Okay, right. Mm -hmm. And then I'd have to sort of look up stuff. I, that can turn off people because I... Um, my sister actually listened to Company for the first time yeah. uh, a while ago. I recommended her the 2018 version with oh, sure. um, Rose, Rosalie Craig, which I love. I think it's brilliant. I, and I, I love Company. Oh, Company would be in the top five as well. Right. I don't, I'd, need a top, I'd need a top 10, really. She listened to it and she was like, yeah, I don't really, don't really get it. And I was like, of course, because you don't have, like on the Raul Esparza version, yeah. you've got little bits of dialogue, which helps exactly. it out. So, but um, when she listened to Come From Away, uh, 
which I'm seeing this year, very excited to see it. She sort of looked up the synopsis and that's probably the best way, I suppose. And I have done that for a lot of shows. Yeah, it, it's hard because mo- mostly because of where I grew up and how I grew up. I always listen to theater albums cold, like not knowing anything yeah. about them or what their story mm-hmm. was. And for a lot of them, yeah. you can kind of figure it out. And back in, when there was actually CDs, you could actually sometimes they would actually put a little plot description in the liner notes, which is which, which is helpful. Um, I helpful I just, yeah. yeah, my habit is still just to go in blind. And then it's like. I don't think I'm getting this at all. Then I'll go and like try and figure it out. Um, I, I've said this already on an episode. This is why I had such a different idea of what Dear Evan Hansen was about <laughs> when I first yeah, listened to it. Yeah. Because then it's like, wait a second, that's the plot point? Because I did not pick that up when I was listening to this. I'll be honest. Um, I, for anyone who likes Dear Evan Hansen, uh, I'm sorry. But um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, when I listened to Dear Evan Hansen, I was like, this is just wicked. Like, this just sounds like wicked. Mm. Like it just wants to be wicked, but how am I supposed to relate to a character like that? And then they made the movie. I have yet to see the film, but it's kind of like, because I know you've mentioned before, you're not fond of cats, but um, I look forward to seeing the film. I have, that's one of the films I'm anxious to see this year. I was, I've not seen it yet. You know, the, the unfortunate part about the thing, I also went to see cats in a movie theater because oh, I don't wow. value my time. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. Cats was this amazing time in a theater because you could feel communally with everyone that was in that theater kind of turn on the movie at a certain point. The horror. Then, yeah. Well, yeah it's like, and honestly, in the, in the back of my mind, it's like, well, it can't get worse, right? And then it kind of keeps getting worse. Yeah. How that movie progresses. I, th- th- this is not actually a Christmas of the stage show necessarily, but that movie is like, you cannot possibly get worse than this. But even after that, I was like, that movie is bad, but I am I'm convinced that it'll become like Rocky Horror is like shown at midnight screenings it's, and yeah. people throw things at the screen and stuff. Yeah. People were get, like, leading me to believe that's what the Dear Evan Hansen movie was like. And it's just boring. Like, that's what that movie yeah. is. It's not good and it's boring. And like, no one's going to remember that movie in two years. It's like people will no, be like, I... remember when they made that Dear Evan Hansen movie? And they're like, they made a movie yeah. out of that? That's what's yeah. going to be. Anyways, we're not here to talk about Dear Evan Hansen. We're here to talk about no. Sweeney Todd. Yeah. A good musical. <laughs> I said it. I said it. Isn't it weird that I find Evan Hansen more of a monster than Sweeney Todd is? Oh, yeah. But that's, yeah. that's a conversation yeah. for another day. Cause, well, yeah, because at least with Sweeney, we're like, yeah, kill him. Go on. Get him. <laughs> Go. Do but it. With- do it. Uh, we're talking about uh, Amis here, of course. This is... Mm. We've heard Anthony sing already. He's kind of the first person we hear in the show um, after the the ballad. Here, here he is returning into the narrative, which I always find funny that he's like introduced and then he kind of disappears for 25 minutes or so and is now coming mm. back here into the show. Now, because you, you kind of mentioned at the beginning, you are yourself like a composer. You work with music. Yes. Have you done like a breakdown at all of of Sweeney specifically like I, I'd, like, I'd love to know your outlook before we jump into the lyrics about like how Amis kind of just fits into both like act one and like the rest of the, the show something I noticed uh, and correct me if I'm wrong but I think this is uh, this is Anthony's only moment of like a soliloquy or or, or at least a free thought in the mm-hmm. whole show what Sondheim I think is amazing at is he'll take a character and have them think for themselves, whether it be like the princess in Into the Woods when she's mm-hmm. stuck on, on the steps of the palace or, um, or Amy in company when she's panicking and getting married today. Mm-hmm. It's all this thought that's just coming out at you know, rapid succession. So when Anthony, obviously we're going to get into the lyric of it, but when he's sort of looking at her and saying, oh, what do you see off there in those trees? What, won't, won't you give me a chance? It's, it's Anthony's only moment to really kind of think through an idea or at least a thought mm-hmm. that 
of what could be before we get the statement, which is which is Joanna. Well, I think too, like it's almost impossible to decouple this completely from the song that comes right before it, which is Greenfinch and Linnet Bird, right? We're yeah. introduced to Joanna and she sings her song. And then we're immediately bringing Anthony into this because he sees her kind of like kind of like a Rapunzel up in a tower. Like he sees her and yeah. like, oh my gosh, there's mm-hmm. beauty type of thing. But they really do. They do complement each other as being like these two lovers that we're going to be focusing on sort of yeah. in this show. They're not like the primary thing we're focused on, but they do need to have that meeting and see each other. The recurring statement that I've been making in these episodes here this season is how oftentimes we will hear a song, usually in act one, and its echoes will be felt throughout the entire rest of the show, whether it's like a musical phrase or a thought or whatever it happens to be. This one, of course, is No Place Like London, with the kind of that song, like I mentioned at the beginning where we first meet Anthony, who was talking about him sailing around the world and seeing all these beautiful things, and he's so glad to be back here in London. And he's continuing that thought. That's the first thing we hear as he enters into this scene, is him still thinking about that. Hey there, everyone. Just Kyle breaking into the conversation here again to talk about some of the people and organizations that help this show continue to go. I'd like to start these off by saying that if you'd like to help support the show for absolutely free, you can give a rating and review on whatever app you listen to podcasts in. That's greatly appreciated. And if you'd like to help monetarily, which will only help to grow and make this show better, you can do so over at our Patreon page. Please do not donate if it impacts you negatively financially. Which, by the way, a huge thank you to our newest patron, Leslie. So thank you so much for joining us over there, Leslie. I also need to give a huge thank you to the God That's Good tier from Patreon, the suave sextet of Jack, Todd, Carrie, Witty, Luis, and Christopher. Putting together is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This week we're brought to you by Rumi. Cold drafts, flickering lights, and where's that leak coming from? If you've ever wondered what's really going on in your home, Rumi's Ask a Home Inspector service can help. Connect with a certified professional home inspector by phone or video call and get your questions answered. Rumi will let you know what's easily fixable with a little DIY or when you might need to call in some professional help. Visit rumi.ca, that's R-U-M-I dot C-A, and book your Ask a Home Inspector appointment today. This week, we're also brought to you by PodPower. With PodPower, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a PodPower shout-out to Overdue Finds. Overdue Finds is an Edmonton Public Library podcast. Bryce Crittenden and Carolyn Land host conversations about books, movies, music, pop culture, and other interesting news about Edmonton. It's a great way to learn more about what's happening at EPL and about how you can use your library card to access all of EPL's in-person and online services. To listen and find out more about Overdue Finds, head to epl.ca slash podcast. This is exactly what he says. He says, 
I have sailed the world, beheld its wonders, from the pearls of Spain to the rubies of Tibet, but not even in London have I seen such a wonder. And then he goes, as he actually sees Joanna, uh, Lady, look at me, look at me, miss. Oh, look at me, please. Oh, favor me, favor me with your glance. Ah, miss, what do you, what do you see off there in those trees? Oh, won't you give, won't you give me a chance? I have sailed the world, beheld its wonders, from the pearls of Spain to the rubies of Tibet. But not even in London have I seen such a wonder. Lady, look at me, look at me, miss, oh, look at me, please. Oh, favor me, favor me with your glance. What do you, what do you see off there in those trees? Oh, won't you give, won't you give me a chance? In terms of music, at least, uh, obviously I, I wouldn't call myself like a proper learned kind of musician. Sure. I'm still, you know, learning as I go. But what's interesting is we have Anthony's like statement. First thing we hear in the show is, I have sailed the world, da, 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 all that. Mm-hmm. Then we have this um, lady, look at me, look at me, miss, oh, look at me, please. The interesting thing about that is that it's just recycled material from Greenfinch and Linnet Bird. Exactly. Greenfinch yeah, yeah. and Linnet Bird. Um, it also it appears in Poor Thing. He had mm-hmm. this wife, you see. It all ties together with Joanna, uh, which I think is really cool. There's a great um, YouTube um, channel called Into the Hoods. Yes. And it's basically deconstructing everything from Todd from the very beginning to the very end. I think. I think he's done the whole show, but yeah. Yeah. There's an, I don't know if he's the same one or not, but there is another video out there about how, I think they tell us something like the foreshadowing that happens in Sweeney Todd or like oh, um, everything uh, is sideways. spoiled. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, si- I love, love sideways. Everything is spoiled in Sweeney Todd in the first 10 minutes or something is what it says. Because again, yeah. all your musical things are put there. We mm-hmm. know yeah. he actually tells you who each character is in relation to each other musically. And then it all kind of comes together at the end when you when you've seen watch the whole thing. The only other thing I would mention is uh, there's a I saw there's a line that comes up later, but I I suppose first instance is here. Anthony has this quick kind of rapid succession of of lyric, you know, lady, look at me, look at me, mm-hmm. and then he takes a moment to breathe and say, ah, miss, and the music as well yeah. matches that just so perfectly. And then it's followed later by a a, a lyric which which we'll get to. But you you mention in. How in Company, where there's uh, not getting married today, right? You are situating a character who is super nervous about getting married and that emulates yeah. the song that she's singing. She's like I'm talking to Mile a Minute because she's so nervous. It's kind of similar here, right? Like he's come through, it's like, I've sailed the world, but I have never seen such a beauty. Like I've seen the Dardanelles, I've seen yeah. all these other things, but Joanna is the most beautiful thing most beautiful thing I've seen in the world. And then he starts to get kind of nervous about it, right? It's like, oh, like, come on, please look at me. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Probably birds or something. But like, like please look at me. I just want you to look down here at me. In the first bit, we all even have, uh, unless there's a rhyme I've missed, but uh, Pearls of Spain, Rubies of Tibet doesn't rhyme. But in, in London, have I seen such a wonder? We're now linking the rhyming. Yeah. We have the, the couplet there. And we are now latching onto something that is is stable that is true that is there and it's joanna and then we have this you know this wonderful little moment when he's you know he's talking about her and yeah like i said earlier the only real moment in the show where he gets to really think about a thought and and say it like you say with it's, mm-hmm. it's just great I'll, I'll kind of answer my own question first but then throw it to you i actually don't think there's anything to this but maybe there is maybe there's something i'm just overlooking but i always am curious when certain allusions are used multiple times in, in particular, the rubies of Tibet, so the like the jewels of Tibet, which 
back in, I believe it's in My Friends, uh, Sweeney Todd says he is going to have his racers yeah. drip rubies. Yes. And I don't know if there is any connection to that or if it's just like, uh, it's a it's a good like um, image for people to think of. But well, anyways, I, it's weird that it's, it happens twice in two different contexts in this show. I guess it's that less is more thing that Sondheim mentions. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm going to use that word again because it's just so good. I'd, I'll be honest, I don't know if there are t- uh, rubies in Tibet, but it sounds lovely. The second half of the song is kind of when Greenfinch and then this song kind of kind of overlap each other. But Anthony continues on and says, Who would sail to Spain for all its wonders when in Kearney's lame lies the greatest wonder yet? Ah, miss, look at you, look at you pale and ivory-skinned. Look at you looking so sad, so queer. Promise not to retreat to the darkness, back to your window. Not till you, not till you look down here. Look at me, look at me. Look at me. And while he's singing that, look at me parts, Joanne is saying, Green Finch and Linnet Bird, Nightingale, Blackbird, teach me how to sing. If I cannot fly, let me sing. Who would sail to Spain for all its wonders When in Kearney's lane lies the greatest wonder yet Ah, miss, look at you, look at you, pale and ivory skin Oh, look at you, looking so sad, so queer Promise not to retreat to the darkness back of your window Not till you, not till you look down here Look at me Look at me Underneath uh, Who Would Sail to Spain for All Its Wonders, in the original recording, I believe it, it's Jonathan Tunick who would have arranged mm-hmm. this. Yes. Um, just the use of the tambourine is just such a great way to just, just to accent this moment. I just think that's so mm-hmm. such a wonderful orchestral choice. And then uh, obviously reading Finishing the Hat sometimes goes into this massive detail about this one line about right. Kearney's so, Lane. I, I, yeah, let's, so let's talk about Kearney's Lane for a second. Yeah. Um, you're right. He writes so much about this one particular line basically being that Kearney's Lane does not exist. It is not a yeah. street that you can go to in London. It sounds like it could be, but it's not. It could it's be. A, a completely made up thing that Sondheim made. He also admits to the fact that this huge amount of writing he put on is like, it took, it, it's going to take you more time to read it than he thought about this. But it's a kind mm. of this nice life lesson about songwriting and why it's important to like really consider what you're using. He wanted there to be the the emphasis on the first syllable. So in you know, Kearney's Lane, like it's a very harsh sound at the very beginning. The unfortunate part about all the other ones that he was finding was that it was kind of reversed. Like he couldn't find this perfect way to use mm-hmm. actual streets that were there that would that would match how he wanted that to be emphasized. And then it, he says like there's this other obstacle there that there that there were roads and squares and muses and lanes but um always with this upward inflection specifically though he says road sounds middle class and not where a powerful autocrat would live and to americans ears a square would imply commerce or at least a lack of privacy a muse connotes something more akin to a cozy cottage than an imposing judicial mansion although it at least implies exclusivity but lane seemed right it sounded picturesquely private rather than exclusive so he combed the map tried to find this and eventually just like i'm just gonna make it up here for myself and i just find this so interesting that he actually considered all of the options and it's like sure mm-hmm. i could have put like maiden lane or i could have put uh like bleaker street or something in there but none of them yeah. 
sounded right <laughs> when when you sing it. There's a, a book I have downstairs. It's about road names in London, and I was looking yeah. through some of them. You could have had like Pudding Lane or, or different ones, or even recognisable ones that from London that everyone would know across across the world. It just goes to show that the man has thought about every single mm -hmm. word, and that that is important. And that's something because uh, I've got. Um, I'm currently reading a lot of Sondheim books, but mainly Sondheim on music. Yeah, and um, going through, when he's going through his manuscripts on like passion and other things, even just the slightest word, he talks about um, using uh, Christ instead of God. You know, a, a, maybe a lesser songwriter would be like, well, we'll just use God because everyone knows God, but Christ, what's the inflection on that? What's the purpose? And that just, you know, it kind of it's a it's a, a monument really to just his genius. Again, yeah, such a small detail, but. You know, God is in the details. Are you in London currently? No, I'm. I'm in Gloucester, funnily enough. Gotcha. Um, okay. I, I only bring this up. I remember reading this years ago, and I'm sure it's possibly different with like GPS systems that you have can mm -hmm. have in cars. For a while, like as as far as like intellect or being smart goes, there was this thing where uh, London cab drivers were among the smartest people because they had to just retain all this information about where all the streets yeah. are because in london road names will change like four five six seven times where it's the same road you oh. haven't gotten off off it but it's actually changed its name so you have to know oh that this God, is gosh. what it's talking about um because it's not the same That's road crazy. name all the way through i can remember um when i was younger uh my first sort of time going to london i remember seeing lots of um motorcyclists around doing you know just going from place to place and we kept seeing the same motorcyclist and i asked my parents like well what are they doing and it's well as a taxi driver it's part of your training to go around and you have yes. to know everywhere you have to mm -hmm. know everywhere the other thing that i have to uh, point out here this is perhaps one of my favorite rhymes within a song because it's, again, a little subtle thing. Or at least it was for me. I don't know. I'll speak for myself. I think it's so subtle that you can kind of sometimes even blow past the fact, oh, he's rhyming those two things together, which is amiss and promise. Yes, that was the thing I highlighted. Yes. Yeah. Which I think is just so beautiful <laughs> to, to rhyme those two together. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's so good because it's the only, it's the only thing, uh, only uh, moment in the whole song where Anthony has a moment to just sort of step back. If you listen, you know, if you listen, Ah, uh, miss, he takes that time to breathe. What yeah. do you, what do you see? Then uh, later on when he talks about um, when in Keeney's Lane lies the greatest wonder yet. Ah, uh, miss, look at you, look at you. And then promise is such a big statement for him. That's, yeah. that's the big, yeah, big statement to then, because he's now completely infatuated with her. It's so, that's such a, again, yeah, like you say, it's so subtle, but oh, it's just one, it is wonderful. It's, this is an underrated gem of a song, really. I do too. I mean, again, because of its, the musicality gets, again, pushed throughout the rest of the score, like, You'll yeah. hear it again and again in different things. But the the other thing that I find so interesting about this song is uh, the last lines that each person sings, right? So we start with Anthony basically singing this whole soliloquy by himself. And then when Joanna and him kind of sing over top of each other, yes, there's a reprise of Greenfinch and Linnet Bird. But the last thing that they say, which... Again, if we go with Sondheim's instruction that this should be kind of the most important thing, you're ending the song off with this. So this is kind of your final statement. Look at me. So Anthony's most important thing is just for Joanna to look at him, to recognize him. Yeah. Whereas Joanna, let me sing is the last thing that she says. She wants to be free. She wants to escape her prison. And so you can combine those two in a few different ways. So uh, meaning like, hey, look down here because this is the way you're going to escape. 
right? Those two couplets. Or just an excuse for her to get out of her condition. This is a very long diatribe for me to ask you the question. My subtle, maybe like fan fiction that I'm currently writing about Sweeney (laughs) Todd. Do you think Joanna actually does fall in love with Anthony or is he just a way to get out of where she is? Okay. This is the interesting thing about Joanna and Anthony in the show, or at least in the in the kind of the context of Sweeney Todd, because they're not they're necessary to the plot, but they're not the point of it. Correct. Yeah. You know, and especially in the car in the Broadway cast record, the original one, when she's when she says to Anthony, you know, oh, in these boys' clothes, if you will not, they will not know that I am I am a woman. And he's like, ah, oh, no, it's fine, it's fine. Uh, you just you just say here, I trust Mr. Todd as much as I trust my right arm, and you're like Anthony, you're. You've been pining for this woman <laughs> this whole time. And then you're just yeah. gonna throw her off to go and get a cab. Travel together. Wouldn't that be a yeah, I that's a really interesting idea, actually. I think that would make a great um like if they if they did once upon a time, but for, mm. for Stephen Sondheim shows, what yes. if Joanna didn't love Anthony? That'd be great. I that's you know, I've never thought about that. That's really cool. I I, I don't know. That'd be my answer. I don't know. I, and I would probably say go by the movie at least. No. Definitely yeah, so this is the thing. I, I, I've gone back and forth with this a little bit, and I should do like a very, like an, an even more deep dive just musically how Joanna's portrayed throughout the show. And But the, the more I look at it and the more I look at lyrics and, uh, and stuff like that, I don't think it ever beca- raises to the level of like, yes, textually, this is exactly what they're trying to communicate. I think it is a bit more subtextual than that. Mm-hmm. But my feeling is, is that Joanna is going to like dump Anthony on the first place they pour it to. And it's like, I'm gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you she, got she, me out I of mean, where I was, but I, I don't need you anymore. I can go off and be by myself. But then would she be able to, you know, would she be able to handle life on her own though? Because mm. in um ladies and their sensitivities she, first thing she does she's like you know i'll i'll i'll, pour, I'll swallow poison I'll, I'll i'll kill myself we'll, we'll, we'll be done yeah, yeah. so would she even you know i don't know in, in boys clothes maybe she'd be all right i that, you know i've never considered that before that is so right. interesting next time i listen to todd i'll have to i'll be thinking about that well sweeney todd uh, i mean the original tale is in the public domain and even though uh, join is not his uh, daughter in the original text look for my my novel <laughs> <laughs> coming out in like three years as I devise this huge, like the sequel to Sweeney Todd. Just as kind of a quick uh, segue before we kind of go into like wrapping up or anything here. Because Greenfinch and Linnetbird does show up here again kind of as a reprise inside of this yeah. song. Yes, there's part of that for the let me sing part, point that she needs to end on. Do you think there's more than that? Like, how do you read Greenfinch and Linnetbird? I used to, that would use, that used to be the one I would skip. Uh, when I was younger and then yeah. grew to kind of appreciate it when I got older because nothing changes in the song really it's a, right. just a it's sort of a it's a thought it's a statement of you know she's a bird in a cage and she wants to get out if you were to cut it from the show I think it would definitely it would give Joanna less like, I, I suppose presence would be the right word I guess mm-hmm. um, because it's kind of like you said she is very much the princess in the tower and that's it really for her Right. She's sung about in Act Two, and uh, she eventually comes, you know, back at the end. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just cycling around the question and not answering <laughs> particularly well. But no, I, I, I think that there's the more that I look at Greenfinch and Lambert. This is again, as you will have heard last week. I, I think there is the subtle illusion. I mean, number one, sometimes much like his mentor Oscar Hammerstein does an entire song about birds, which is great. But B, yes, oh yes, <laughs> the bird thing. Yeah, because. Yeah, but yeah, she lists um, a bunch of yeah. birds in there, and I think some of them do have literary allusions, and some just fit the 
the meter better and stuff like that. They do. I mean, my guess they take a bit a bit of time and be like, okay, do we think any of these are actual allusions to to stuff? Specifically, there is that one line where, um, please teach me to be more adaptive to you, right? So like. Teach me how to like fit in or like either accept this or kill me because I have to do one or the other. Yeah. When I was younger, I used to. Sorry if I'm interrupting. No, no. When I was younger, when I heard that line, when she says, teach me to be more adaptive, I, I took that as she's looking to what the environment has around her right. that can give her the, the ability to escape because right. she's so cut off. And that was really the only thing I could see from it. But now, obviously, knowing more about Sondheim and kind of basically doing an undergraduate course in musical theatre, essentially by listening to all these shows and reading his books, <laughs> now knowing that Oscar loved to write about birds and and mm -hmm. uh, trees and things, um, I wonder if that is a small nod to, to Oscar. Mm -hmm. Because I know that Sondheim doesn't always talk in detail about every song that he's That's written. Right. I, there's nothing for like being alive, really. And yet... You know, yeah, there's, know. it is fascinating to me, like which songs he does, like spend a lot of time talking about and some he yeah. doesn't. Um, I would have liked to see more of him talking about like Greenfinch specifically just mm. to see like how he, he came up with all the birds and all that kind of stuff. That, that would have been fascinating to me. So the song does continue on for a little bit longer. There's a little bit of this um, book scene that, you, that a lot of recordings will have as the beggar woman kind of comes back into the story down on the street with Anthony and, uh, you know, her singing that alms, alms for a miserable woman kind of mm -hmm. comes yeah. back in there. But really the only new lyrics that come out are at the very beginning as he kind of tries to uh, shush her away. And she goes, hey, hoy, sailor boy, one it's snugly harbored. Open the gate, but dock it straight. I see it list to starboard. Or any other youth with mischief on his mind. Hey, hoy, sailor boy, want it snugly harbored. Open the gate, but dock it straight. I see it list to starboard. Sondheim very nicely puts it in a little uh, footnote here. Needless to say, this verse does not exist in the scripts sent to most schools. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love that so yeah. much. <laughs> That's so brilliant. Can you imagine though? Can you imagine mm -hmm. if someone just hadn't checked the libretto properly and was like, you know, off, off you go, kids, go do Sweeney Todd. <laughs> that's and right. And right. you keep in that and you keep in the, all the other stuff. Yeah. What did oh. they just say? Um, maybe, maybe you'll surprise me. Maybe there's some like deep hidden meaning that you're going to have between these lyrics somehow. But the, the thing that I wanted to kind of bring into it, I, I do find it fascinating that Again, spoiler alert if you have somehow not watched the full show, but this is Joanna's mother that is kind of yes. coming in here and seeing mm -hmm. Anthony and kind of being the thing that ends off this this exchange. On a second watch or a second listen, this becomes a little bit more of like dramatically sad in this case. Yes, where it does. it's like she's captured, yeah. her mother has been completely lost, and the suitor that wants to be with her doesn't know the connection that's going on. It, it, musically as well. Arms, arms for a miserable woman. You know, am I Lucy lies in ashes? You know, that's right. We're, it's all it's all tying together. Yeah, what I like here is that this was the bit they kept in the film because this is important. Whereas right, right. if we're talking film sort of tacts, you know, in a in a film you don't have to have a character say, "Oh, Miss, look at you, look at you, so beautiful." All you do is you shot of them. They smile, shot of her, she smiles, as in the film, yeah. and then we move on. I agree. Like, like a shame that the song doesn't exist in the movie, but it's, it's, I'm glad you brought this up because I think in particular, you're so right in essentially the setup of this. is like, yeah. we keep Greenfinch and Luna Bird because we do need to communicate, like, yes, she's in this tower, but she does not want to be there. Like, this is a bad situation. And as Anthony kind of comes into that street, we just need to see them, him looking at her, 
and we get it. <laughs> we mm -hmm. don't need anything more. We almost feel like it's belaboring the point at that at that juncture. But yeah. we do keep her coming in. So that was like, oh my gosh! And by the end of this, like, of course, like this is all interrelated with one another. Because that's the you know that's the crux of the plot. If we were to cut the Lucy bit, we would then we would lose so much of the story. What I do like though about the Burton film, I don't know if you've done your episode yet about comparing the film and the stage show, because I imagine that's going to be cracking because of the. <laughs> specifically the the way tim burton uses the camera especially in that sequence in poor thing the camera moves and we see lucy and she's taken by the beadle to judge mm -hmm. turpin's house and a very similar framing to when anthony walks in and sees joanna going past the lamppost and stuff yeah. so it's little kind of cues like that that almost kind of replace the fact that we don't have the arm miss we don't have that sequence but we know that it's going to eventually lead to finding out who joanna is who this old beggar woman is Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um we kind of progress with the story yeah i know i think it's i think it's beautifully done i mean i am a bit of a defender of that movie <laughs> i love that film i think it's yeah. great i i know that a lot of big theater fans hate it but i, I never have I, i've always looked at it as a an adaptation of something and like yes of course i'm always going to go back to like the original broadway cast i'm going to listen to it but exactly. I mean, it is the movie that we have and i think it actually does a few things really really well i think the last thing that we need to kind of put in here sweet todd is, is often doing this where i find it's like i don't know like mini plays within the play itself and in this yeah. like we've had this huge info dump of like setting the stage essentially of uh, Sweet Todd coming back, meeting Mrs. Lovett, getting his razors back, right? Now we've moved over to here and we have uh, introduced to Joanna. She wants to escape. This song is kind of uh, bringing back Anthony. I was like, oh, maybe I can help her, right? Or I want her to look at me so that we can, you know, have this magical medium. But it's sandwiched in between this and then the first version of Joanna, which is him you know, getting roughed up a bit, told to like, you get out of here. And it's like, I'm going to steal you at some point yes. right? <laughs> yeah. so i think it's this interesting bit of like there's these three songs kind of put together that form this kind of like a little mini play before i go off to uh, i think it's pirelli's is the one that comes after that where yeah. we introduce to sweeney todd and that whole sequence yeah. so uh, as far as that goes this is kind of like that yeah that that midpoint that everything rests on we need Amis to be there so that yeah. the first Joanna, I think, has resonance. It's interesting you mentioned uh, little plays because I know yeah. that ha uh, Hal Prince imagined this as a very Edwardian, almost Dickensian kind of approach. Right. And it almost feels like chapter one, chapter two, chapter three of yes. a, you know, a small kind of novel or you like, you know, like a Penny Dreadful that we're slowly setting up things. What is nice about uh, especially this particular bit is we get a rest from Todd mm. and we get to go back to Anthony and we get to flesh him out a bit more whilst it's almost as if Anthony is the, um, the character that we're, we're, we're focusing on Anthony, but underneath we have, here's the beggar woman. Here's something that's going to play a massive part in the second act, but we're going to introduce it here and give you a little bit of it so that when we have the twist at the end, you'll go, Oh, of course, it's just, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's so good. I wish I could have seen it that if I had a time machine and then I had like three Broadway shows to see, this would be one of them. Can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. If I could go back in time and see like original Broadway cast, that would be amazing. I keep coming back to this about the first time how I listened to Sweeney Todd really was on my bed with headphones on and mm. kind of imagining the movie, how it would play out yeah. <laughs> in my head. And so I've always loved that experience because I was shocked at the revelation at the end that the big yeah, is, yeah. is the way. I'm like, what? No way. And then the second it's was like, oh twist. my gosh, these other things that he's putting in there. That's why I've kind of always loved this show, I think, is it, it, it encourages re-listens, but it also 
as sometimes we know, love puzzles. It is like this little puzzle that you can pull oh, apart yeah. and see like, oh yeah, this relates to this and this relates to that and this relates to this over here. Yeah, it's it's so rewarding. And the, the not only the rhymes uh, within certain songs, like we've got here with Armis and Promise, they're so satisfying to the ear. But I think what people forget about Sweeney Todd is that it's really funny as well. It's genuinely really funny. I think that's the yeah. only thing that the movie does that doesn't always do. They cut mm. some of the best jokes especially in a little priest. Yeah, I but, agree. Um, I still really love the movie. And I, I'm same with you. Like I, I, I was a big t- Tim Burton fan when I was first in film school. So um, it was kind of like, you know, I would defend some of his, his other films that weren't that good. But Sweeney Todd is, I think, one of his best ones. I want you to give a big defense of Big Eyes right now. I, I, I thought Big Eyes was all right. Not amazing, <laughs> but like it was pretty good. It's sure. no, you know, uh, Planet of the Apes or... Right. You know, yeah, that's true. That Mars is true. Attacks, you know. Yeah. Although Mars Attacks, I think, would make a great musical. And call me in two years when that happens. Oh, that's a really interesting idea. I like that too. Well, I'll have you back uh, when we talk movies, probably. Uh, so. Oh, I'd love to. That'd be great. Yeah. Luke, thank you so much for joining me here today. If people wanted to, you know, stay in contact with you, see what you're up to online, what's the easiest way for them to do so? Well, my um, I'm currently uh, on a bit of a social media kind of detox because I'm working on a lot of different projects. But if you did want to follow me uh, on my Instagram, uh, my music Instagram, I'll be hopefully posting a few more. I am releasing an album this year, hopefully. Nice. And uh, a few a few other different things. Um, what kind of music are we talking about as far as the album goes? That's kind of, I think that's kind of the point of the album, really, is that my my the design of the album is as if you were to put it on shuffle. You put your mm. own kind of music on shuffle and it would be kind of anything. So it's a bit of a bit of different things. We've got some uh, sort of indie stuff. We've got some sort of more vo- vaudeville kind of inspiration inspired stuff uh, and some Frank Sinatra vibes nice. in there. Just a, a lot of music that I listened to when I was growing up. I'm working on a musical actually as well that uh, is, well, hopefully see the light of day. But you can follow me at Crichton Music. That's uh, C-R-I-C-H-T-O-N music, all mm. under underscore on Instagram. Uh, I do have a Twitter, but I'm I'm sort of working on updating that. Or um, sure. you can go to my website. The last question is the hardest question that I've been doing this season. What is your favorite type of pie? Do you know, I you can't go wrong with the chicken pie. Honestly, mm-hmm. you can't go wrong with the chicken pie. Have you have you seen Chicken Run, the Artman yes. film? Yeah, chicken yeah. I have. Yeah, yeah. What, one of the greatest films ever made. Um, and I'll fight anyone on that. Yeah, I'd, I'd go for a chicken pie. Perfect. Thanks, Luke. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure, and uh, what a great season. What a great show. Yeah. It's a great show. Yes, they're quite Judge Turpin's ass, that is. And the young lady who resides there. Oh, that's Joe. Thank you so much for listening. You can send emails to puttingittogetherpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow Sondheim Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And you can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash puttingittogetherpodcast. Thank you to the Alberta Podcast Network, to Rumi, and to Pod Power this week. Putting Together is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts from. Consider subscribing so that you never miss an episode. Next week, we're going to be talking about the first song that's called Joanna. The one that does not involve an orgasm. Or, well, whatever suits your fancy. As always, a big thank you to the great Chris Taniguchi who designed the podcast artwork and Nick Driscoll for composing our theme music. Well, we've reached the end of our episode. Yes, I know. Goodbye for now. Push me it looks to me, dear, like you've got plenty there to push.